Well, Leonard Sweet shares Tom Wiles, a university chaplain in Phoenix, picked me up at the airport in his Ford Ranger pickup for a conference. As one who mourns his own trade-in of a Dodge Ram pickup, we immediately bonded and traded truck stories. I noticed two big scrapes by the passenger door. What happened, I asked. My neighbor's basketball post fell on the truck and left those dents and scars, Tom replied. You're kidding, I said. The truck is so new I can smell it. He replied, what's even worse is my neighbor doesn't feel responsible for the damage. Joseph Campbell years ago said a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. We're going to talk about the, the biblical aspect of sacrifice and discipleship in light of our Veterans Day service. Certainly some examples of sacrifice shown in, in men and women who serve. But you can be a hero as a mother, as a father, husband, wife, a teacher, in any aspect at all. Because being a hero simply means to give your life to something bigger than yourself. There's an anonymous writer who years ago said, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the roads you're trudging seems uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but do not quit. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. You can never tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight. When your heart is hit, it's when things seem worse. You must not quit. So let's talk about a hero, a sacrificial living in the biblical sense. If you go to Luke chapter 17, we'll look at just one verse here. But in chapter 16 of Luke, Jesus giving a sermon and he talks about real discipleship. And some things he says are going to be difficult. Things like persecution, rejection. He said some things are going to stretch your faith and seem so counter to what you even believe. Things like forgiveness, even when it seems impossible. At other times he says, you know, you're going to be a part of something so grand, you can't do it in your own strength. And if you want to be able to, to live in Christ, he says you have to remain the vine to the branch, and he is that vine in our life. And after listening to these sermons in Luke 17, 5, it says the apostles said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Increase our faith, one, because we struggle to believe strong enough to face the odds. Also increase our faith because we want to be a part of something so big, something beyond our own lives. We want to be able to meet those needs with a strong faith. You know, Rick Warren says it well when he says, the truth is God builds your faith by testing it. He puts it to the test. He tries it. And Rick Warren says, faith is like a muscle when it's stretched and pulled, then it develops. As we've shared many times, if you go to the gym and you start to lift weights and you can do 10 reps, when does your muscle grow? Most people say the 10th rep. The reality is it's number 11. When you find a way to push through and find more strength than you thought you had, that's when you grow. And that's how faith grows in the test in the uncomfortable parts of life, in the things that we can't do in our own strength. Rick Warren says this, if one is never and 10 is continually, 
on a scale of one to 10, rate yourself on this question. How quickly do I praise God when things go wrong? You see, that's a test of faith. How quickly do I praise God when things go wrong or go a way I don't like or are a surprise? Many people get upset and blame God. True faith says, I trust Him, and I know He's taking me through a process so I can serve Him even more. Magalipatius said this, We are not afraid of something that is unimportant. So if you have a fear about a decision or a change, it's a good thing. It means it's something important, and it means you're going to grow. We're not afraid of things that are unimportant. But a lot of people are afraid of fear, so to speak, but rather let fear be a signal, you know what, this must be a very important moment in my life and a chance for me to grow. We're going to look at some things here this morning and some people that went through growth in a very uncomfortable way, but on the other side of that, they found this faith and strength. Back to Leonard Sweet. And the story about the truck, I asked Tom about his truck. Did you get the insurance company to call his insurance company? How are you going to make him pay? And Tom replied, this is a real spiritual journey for me. I've had a lot of soul searching, discussion with my wife. We talked about an attorney. And I said this, I can be in the right or I can be in a relationship. Since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than the truck, I decided I'd rather be in a relationship than be right. Besides, trucks are meant to be banged up. Leonard Sweet said this, The wisdom of Tom's words will haunt me the rest of my life. How many times have I sacrificed being in relationship for being in the right? You see, this is one of the challenges the disciples faced. When Jesus talked about forgiving even things that seem unforgivable, it was then the disciples said, increase our faith. How many times do we sacrifice things like a relationship because we want to be right, maybe even as husband and wife? But discipleship is a chance for us to enter into a moment, a life bigger than our own, play the role of the hero, contribute beyond our own needs. And that's embracing the mind of Christ. Mike Rickman shares the bull moose principle. Bull moose can be 1,500 pounds. They're antlers six feet wide. When they fight for territory in the fall, the bull moose principle is that the real battle was won in the spring. It was in the spring when they ate nutritious food, when they moved around and grew their muscles. And the ones who did that the most had the strongest antlers, and in the fall when they battled, the one whose antlers broke lost. And so the preparation to build the strong antlers started in the spring, and the principle is clear for you and I. A lot of people think when things are easy, they take it easy. We want to be about daily taking up the cross and saying, I've died to self, Christ lives in me, so let me be growing my faith so that I'm prepared when those challenging times arise. Let me get stronger spiritual muscles now so that when I face that mountain, maybe a few months down the line, I'm able to stand strong because of Christ in my life. Proverbs 
15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction for wisdom. And notice, before honor comes humility. Before honor comes humility. Part of that increase our faith is a sense of humbleness that says, you know what? It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about Jesus and His mission. When we have that humility, God honors that. Joe DeSena shared about Michael Phelps, the Olympic gold medalist, and his own process of going through that gaining humility. His coach would try to make things uncertain. And so if he said, I'll pick you up at 6 a.m., some days he'd show up an hour late on purpose to see if Michael Phelps could control his anger. Other times he'd say, I'll bring lunch, and he'd forget it. So Phelps would have to train without eating. At other times, he even broke his goggles and said, here's the only ones I have. And so Michael Phelps had to train with broken goggles. What was he doing? He was building him a strength, that bull moose principle. So when the challenges did happen in real life, he was ready. In fact, in 2012, when he won the gold medal, his goggles did break. But he was prepared for that because of what happened with his coach training him. Humility... God honors that. When we say, you know what? I don't know everything, so I seek wisdom from other believers, from Scripture, from prayer. And it's not about me, it's about Him. Hebrews 3.1 Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. Confession. F. F. Bosworth notes that that word confession means to say the same thing. To have the mind of Christ, we study scripture, we pray, we listen to that still small voice, and he is our confession. We say the same thing that Jesus says. That's part of discipleship. Having that sense of studying scripture so that word becomes in our heart and a part of our thinking, and we say, you know what? When the world might say, you know what, circumstances are impossible, the mind of Christ says, I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. When the enemy comes in like a flood and says, you know what, you're all alone, the mind of Christ says, you know what, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. That's the confession to say the same thing that Jesus says. Bosworth uses the example of sickness, and he says this, sickness gains ascendancy, When you confess the testimony of your senses, feeling and appearance have no place in the realm of faith. Confessing sickness is like signing for a package the post office delivered and Satan then has the receipt showing you accepted it. Don't accept anything that Satan brings. So he is our confession. Lord, increase our faith so that we have stronger faith to handle stronger mountains, bigger giants, and whatever comes our way because a true hero is somebody who lives beyond their own needs and gives their life to something greater than themselves. Adrian Rogers shared about a minister friend who was sharing his faith in Christ with a young man. And the young man said, you don't need to talk to me. 
I've tried religion for five years, and it did me no good, whatever. Roger says, my friend smiled and replied, I know what you mean. I tried religion for 15 years. Did me no good either. I finally gave it up. The young man said, you did? Then why are you a minister? And my friend replied, because I found Jesus Christ. Lord, increase our faith. He is our confession, not a religion, but Christ himself. And we say the same thing that he says. That's part of discipleship. And it's walking in a sense of humility that says, you know what? It's not about me. Let me live my life beyond my own wants and needs. David in Psalm 50, 23 says something we read time and time again throughout Scripture. He says, we offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to honor God. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. In David's day, they had the temple and they would make offerings, but when they felt especially blessed, they would go on their own, not on a special day, and they would go and say, you know what? I want to make a thanksgiving offering because of what God did in my life this week. And so it is for us. A thanksgiving sacrifice is simply to say, you know what? With gratitude, God, I want to offer something to show that gratitude. Some people, it's something that they give money to a cause. Other people say, let me give my life to serve somebody. Others say, let me just find somebody to bless as a way of giving thanks. Because as David said, that sacrifice of thanksgiving, it should be something that is meaningful and cost us something. That's part of the sacrifice. So to give something that costs you something because you're grateful is part of discipleship. And again, that discussion about thanksgiving is all through the Old Testament, the New Testament. We enter his gate with thanksgiving. We enter his gate with praise. What does Paul say? Rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so it is in discipleship. Increase our faith, Lord. So let me be about having the mind of Christ, that he is my confession. Let me have the the sense of humility that it's all about him. It's not about me. And let me pay attention to what God is doing in my life moment to moment and give those special thanksgiving offerings of my commitment or my service or my resources when God has done something special in my life. Recognizing God is testing our faith so we can grow that we can serve even more so in His kingdom. We end here with a story about a very uncomfortable family situation with quite an amazing end. And when we talk about, again, the discipleship, the growing of faith, you'll see it here in the life of J.T. and Jewel Elif. And their family's been very honest about what happened. And Jewel would pass away in 1985, JT just a few years ago. But JT and Jewel had been married 43 years. 1981, JT was a minister and a leader in the Baptist denomination. And what happened next would rock a lot of people's faith in Baptist churches. Married 43 years, and JT came in one day, said to his wife, said to his kids, 
had found a, another woman. He had been unfaithful. He was leaving Jewel. And he was going to marry this other person. And against the pleas of family and friends, he did that very thing. And he moved away, states away from his family. And they had no contact for two and a half years. A couple of years after the divorce, Jewel became very ill. <clears throat> she found herself starting to have memory problems, a lot of health problems. In 1985, she was bedridden in a hospital and she was dying. Tom Aliff, her son, would write this about how she prayed. Before she got ill, he said this, My mother's prayer was one great hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God. She thanked God for her family, for her children, their spouses, their children, one by one. She never missed a name. She thanked God for her own marriage, though now broken. For the husband she had 43 years. Then she prayed for my father and his new wife, asking God to make his way known to them. As she became ill in the hospital, she went into a coma. She would wake up here and there, go back into the coma. Her son, Tom, said one day she woke up, so weak, could barely speak. She simply said, want. In the room, they began to point to objects. Does she want water? Does she want the nurse? They went down a list. What does she want? They mentioned JT's name. She nodded. And then she said, forgive, forgive, forgive. She fell back into the coma. The next day, JT called the hospital. Children very surprised. He said, I heard your mom is sick. They said, no, she's in a coma. She's dying. He said, put the phone to her ear. And Tom would say, I couldn't hear what my dad said. My mother's in a coma. But suddenly, she began to smile. She opened her eyes. A tear began to well. And she said, of course, I forgive you. When we hang up the phone, she went back into a coma. My dad, states away, said, I'm coming in person. He arrived three days later, went into the room, closed the door. We were not allowed in. All we heard was sobbing and weeping for two hours. And two hours later, he opened the door, and there was this tremendous sense of peace. JT went through a process of his own repentance, eventually began serving again. Jewel, as I said, died shortly after their final meeting in that hospital. But Tom said this, my mother's forgiving spirit reminded me of the words of Edwin Markham, who wrote, He drew a circle that shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. A hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. And the apostle saith unto the Lord, increase our faith.